I wonder this morning if you've ever gone to see a movie or even a play and it'd be such an emotional roller coaster for you that by the time you get to the end of the movie or the play, you are exhausted. Like you feel like you've been through this full cardio workout. They have these uh, things on your wrist. Now, I can't remember exactly what they're called, but they tell you that uh, when your heartbeat is so high that you're in cardio mode. The other day we were at my house and uh, one of our kids, I won't say who, but he jumped out uh, to, to scare his mom and his mom jumped, literally jumped, like did the high jump and looked down and it said that she was in cardio mode. And I wonder if a movie's ever left you that way, or maybe, uh, maybe it's not movies for you, maybe it's sports, like the Celtics are stressing me out right now. Anybody been watching the Celtics, like the ups and downs of that? So uh, I feel like I've been through cardio workout, you know, through this series, and maybe you can identify with that with either sports or maybe movies, whatever it may be, but you kind of understand what I'm saying, like there's these ups and downs throughout this whole thing, and, and it's over and the credits roll or the game is over and you look down and you're literally white knuckled clinching the seat and you go, oh my goodness, I didn't know I was this tied up and wrapped up in this. And I'm sharing that with you this morning because we're looking at a scripture of text that I believe is really like that. There's some ups and downs. There is desperation. There is hope. There is sorrow. There is mockery. There is astonishment. All those things are found in the scripture. And oftentimes when we're reading this scripture, we miss it all because right in the middle of the story, in God's own sovereign wisdom, he pauses and he adds another story that we get distracted with. It's almost like an Oreo. You know, I love to use food metaphors. All right. You've got a good Oreo. And on the top, you have that um, cookie part that nobody really likes. Right. It just holds the cream. Right. And then in the middle, you have the cream. And then you end with the same thing. And as unsophisticated as that might sound, that's the literary style that we have this morning in God's Word. I invite you to open to Mark chapter 5 this morning. If you're online with us, we welcome you. We praise God for you if you're online with us because you're ill. Uh, may the Lord bless your health. We pray that you will be restored to your health so that you can serve the Lord Jesus. Uh, if you're here online with us today because you're checking out the church and you're trying to decide if you want to come and worship with us in person, we invite you. This is a place that you will be loved. And we hope this morning that you'll open the Bible as well as we study Mark chapter 5. So Mark chapter 5 starts out uh, with the story of a guy who was a synagogue leader. His name is Jairus. And uh, Jairus comes to Jesus, and we're going to read this full thing in just a moment, but he comes to Jesus in this sense of desperation because his daughter is ill. And she, he, he comes and he just begs Jesus, Jesus, would you please come to my home and put your hands on my daughter and bring her healing and wholeness and restoration and all the things that we pray for our daughters. And Jesus goes with him. And about that time, uh, what happens is that this lady puts everything on hold. Here, here's this middle part of this story where this, this lady who has a significant need 
This, this lady with a, the text calls it an issue of blood. She's been bleeding for years and, and she reaches out and she touches the hem of Jesus' robe and she's healed and Jesus stops and he has a full conversation with her. He has a full conversation with the disciples. But instead of just telling you the story, let's look at it this morning because I want you to see the ups and downs. I want you to feel the desperation and I want you to feel the hope and I want you to, to feel all of these emotional roller coasters that we see in the text. Look with me in verse 21. It says that when Jesus had crossed again into the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. And then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and he implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well, and so that she may be live. Now, isn't it easy to read the text and not feel anything there? Because we read stories all the time about people who are ill. We don't know this little girl. We don't know her parents. We don't know her address. We don't know her hobbies. There are so many things that help us kind of distance ourselves emotionally. But the dad was passionate. He was very desperate. He was desperate to get in front of Jesus. He was desperate to fall before Jesus. And the scripture says he implored him. He begged him, Lord Jesus, would you just come with me so that my daughter would be healed? Look at verse 24, one of the most incredible Verses in the text. We're going to address it in a little bit, but it says, and he went with him. Hope. We go from desperation to hope. Now, verse 24 tells the story about this distraction. And please understand, when I say distraction, I'm not saying that this lady had less than needs. I'm not saying that this lady didn't have a need to be with Jesus. And I'm not criticizing what she did. I'm just saying that as it goes in the mind of Jairus, there's a distraction here. Like, I've got Jesus coming with me to my house. Well, wait a second. Let's don't slow down. Let's keep going. Like, I have a sick daughter. We don't have time to stop and talk to this lady. We don't have time to stop and talk to these people. But what happens is they do stop. And they have this full conversation all the way down through verse 34 where Jesus culminates everything and all of his interactions with this lady. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And just about the time our hearts soar and we go, how awesome is that? Jairus's friends show up with the worst news he could get. Have you ever gotten that phone call? Have you ever heard that knock at your door? And his friends show up. The scripture says, look with me if you would in verse 35, while he was still speaking, Jesus was just finishing addressing this lady. There came from the ruler's house some of them who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except for Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house where the ruler of the synagogue lived and Jesus saw a commotion. Now here's another spot in that emotional roller coaster. Look with me if you would in verse 38. 
There was a commotion. There were people weeping. There were people wailing loudly. There was this sorrow that had taken over the room where this little girl lay. We've gone from desperation to hope to sorrow. And Jesus, in verse 39, says, When He entered, He said to them, Why are you making such a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. They laughed at him. But he put them all outside and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and he went in where the child was and taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kume, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the little girl got up and she began walking around. She was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give the girl something to eat. Now, if you have your notes in front of you, you see that our goal, our target today is to do two things. And it's hard when we have such a long text and we've got a story inside the story to think about. What are we going to focus on this morning for 25 minutes or 30 minutes? Where are we going to give our time? What are we going to give our attention to? And this morning, I want to give it to two things. I want for us to study Jairus' friends and learn from them. And then I want for us to learn about the character of Jesus and the values of Jesus the love of Jesus and the things that we can depend on when we run to Jesus. But first, let's talk about these friends. The first thing that I want you to know, because I have to tell you, I'm going to say a couple of negative things about these friends. But before I do that, let me say a positive. They were well-meaning. So if you're making notes this morning, the first blank is these friends were well-meaning. However, they had two downfalls. These well-meaning Caring friends who, when Jairus' daughter passed away, they left the house, they spent their energy, they spent their time to go find them. They had the courage to tell him the truth. They said, Jairus, your daughter's, she's passed. And it takes a lot to say that to a friend. They were well-meaning. They were trying to help Jairus. But they had two problems. First, they were spiritually wrong. They were well-meaning, but my goodness, how their theology was off. And there's people like that in our life, right? Like there's well-meaning people in your life. They're friends. You like to play hobbies with them. You like to watch sports with them. You like to play golf with them. You like to talk with them on the phone. You like to hang out with them. She's fun to be around. He's fun to hang out with. You do Bible studies. Whatever it may be, there's a lot of well-meaning people in our worlds that are spiritually wrong about a lot of things. That's true here. They were well-meaning. But the first thing they said to Jairus was, your daughter's dead. Leave Jesus alone. It should have been the opposite. And they're given this bad advice 
at this critical moment in his life where he's processing this information, where he's hearing that his daughter just died. And, and if those times were anything like our times, he was in this fog and he couldn't understand things and he's trying to figure it out in his head and grief is starting to overwhelm him and, it's, and, and, and grief is setting in. And, and all of a sudden they say to him, to the effectually, uh, leave Jesus alone. Why do you continue to bother the teacher? And I got to tell you, as well-meaning as they were, they were wrong. And I just want to put this out there for us. We're going to look at it more deeply in just a few moments when we look at takeaways and applications but I want to say this to you while I've got your attention now. There are some people in your life that are well-meaning, but you need to stop listening to them because they're leading you astray. Well-meaning, yet spiritually wrong. Beyond that, I don't know if it's just me, but when Jesus says, this little girl is not dead, she's asleep, and they laugh, and I just get all indignant. Who are you to laugh at my Savior? I get all mad about this. But even beyond that, being wrong, it almost seems like they're mocking the one who has the authority to raise the dead. They're laughing in his face. I want to be careful. Because if I had been there, like these people had been there, and Jesus shows up and walks in and says, she has not died. She's asleep. I would have the tendency to say, you know, Jesus, listen, Jesus, I've been here the whole time. I know you just showed up. I've watched the decline, right? I, I've watched uh, her vitals decline. I've watched it get worse and I've watched it get worse. And, and so, Jesus, um, I just have to tell you, you kind of misread this one. She's dead. Jesus says, no, she's not dead. And can you just put yourself in that room with the angst of having to decide what you're going to believe in that moment? Can you imagine Jairus in that room going, what do I make of this? All these people have been wailing in here, grieving and mourning over her death. And now Jesus is here saying that she's not dead and she's not moving. What is going on? Have you ever been there in, in life before? They were mocking Jesus. We have well-meaning friends who are wrong about spiritual things and make a mockery of our faith. And I think it's important for us to know that. Now, do, do, do these friends, Jairus' friends who come to him and, and Jairus' friends who are in the room when the little girl is deceased, do, do they hate Jairus? I don't think so. Do they want what's worse for Jairus? I don't think so. Are they trying to the best of their ability to give him good advice? I think so. But they're so wrong. They're so wrong. And again, I make this point. Because somewhere along the way, many of us have tricked ourselves into thinking that if I call a person a friend, I should allow them to shape me spiritually. And it couldn't be further from the truth. If they're near me in important times and 
tender times and vulnerable times like they were with Jairus, then, then somehow or another we should just hand them our heart and let them shape the way that we love God and think about God. It's, it's not true. You can think somebody's jokes are funny and still not let them shape your perspective of Jesus. Like you can have fun playing golf together or whatever hobby it is that you enjoy doing and still hold the boundary that says this person should not be shaping my fundamental understanding about the kingdom of God. I just want for us to see that this morning before we turn and begin observing. I use that word in the notes because it is just so special this morning to observe the character of Jesus and to look at the value system of Jesus and the actions of Jesus. But before we look at that, I just want to speak that word to you this morning. There are people who care about you that have no business teaching you spiritual things. There are people that you care about that have no business teaching you spiritual things. Now, we've studied the friends. We know that they're well-meaning. We know that they invested energy, courage. They invested a lot of things in this story to get to Jairus and help him to understand what the situation was. They were well-meaning, but they were wrong. And it appears that they were mocking Jesus or they at least were laughing at him as though he was telling a joke in a, in a situation that really wasn't funny. I think when I read this text, it reads like mockery to me. But let's talk about Jesus. Let's kind of like move our focus for a second and let's put it on this, this king of glory, this Jesus. And what do we learn about who he is this morning? And what do we celebrate about the character of Jesus? And one of the first things that I want you to see is the willingness of Jesus to journey with hurting people. The willingness of Jesus to journey with hurting people. You see, when this man gets to Jesus... He didn't have himself put together. He wasn't emotionally well. To be honest, I have no idea what he looked like, but I know that emotionally he was a wreck. He was hurting. He was scared. His little girl was sick. And he was hurting. And he was willing to do whatever he had to do to get her help, and he ended up in front of Jesus and the scripture says that he fell down and he implored him, oh, Jesus, please come with me. I don't think that Jairus was thinking about the itinerary of Jesus. Because Jesus probably had an itinerary. and We don't have it written down, but I'm guessing that he understood. That, you know, the disciples were thinking, we're probably going to go over here and preach a sermon. We're going to heal the sick over here. But all of a sudden, this guy's just like begging Jesus, Jesus, please come with me. And whatever Jesus was thinking about doing, he stopped. And he said, come on, let's go to your house. Let's go into your home so that I can see your family member who is on the deathbed of life so that I can do something amazing in her life. And I just think to myself, that is the gospel. That is the physical story of my spiritual story. At one point, I knew that I could not solve my problems and I just fell in front of Jesus going, I'm begging you, Jesus, to put me back together. 
the willingness of God Almighty to journey with hurting people is glorious, is breathtaking. These are people who oftentimes have hurt themselves, broken themselves, suffering at their own hand. I understand that probably not in this situation, but you understand what I mean oftentimes. When Jesus is journeying with the broken and the hurting, we're broken and hurting because of what we've done. And he has grace and he has mercy and he walks with us and he brings correction and he brings healing and he brings restitution and redemption and restoration and he brings those with him on the journey with broken people. I love that. And that is such a word of hope if you're here this morning and you're hurting. If there's even an element, an aspect of your life that is broken, that is causing you pain and suffering. There's something in your world maybe nobody even knows about, but you know about it and it's breaking your heart. I want you to know that Jesus is willing to journey with hurting people. And I love that about my Savior. But the second thing I want you to observe about Jesus, which I think is equally uh, noteworthy and praiseworthy, is that Jesus so desperately wanted the family to have this as their own personal testimony. I didn't say that very clear. Let me try to back up and re-say that. They, Jesus desired for the family to be in the room and have their own experience of this witnessing and this testimony. He, Jesus wanted the family to be there. And I noticed that in the text and I wonder why. Because isn't it true that in the text, Jesus drives everybody out? In fact, it says once they laugh at him, he runs them all out of the room. But to the dad and to the mom and to the people close, he said, hey guys, come in here. I'm going to show you something. He brought them in to behold the power of God in their own home. I want to give you something to share with your friends. I want you to see the glory of God on full display in your own home. I want you to see this and remember this for the rest of your life. And the reason that I illuminate that thought this morning is because I don't think that it's a stretch for me to say to you that I believe that God wants you to be eyewitnesses of the way that God is at work in your life as well. Like He doesn't want us to be blind. He doesn't want us to miss what He's doing all around us. I know that sometimes it's hard to see what God is doing in our midst. I know that sometimes it's hard to process what it is that the Lord is doing among us. And I can just imagine Jairus, right? Like, I don't think uh, that, that when, when Jairus heard from his friends that his daughter had died, I, I don't think, I don't know this, but it just doesn't seem like 
That would have been like the great moment of his life. He's right there with Jesus, but he hears the worst thing he ever heard. And so his emotions are probably all over the place. He was conflicted perhaps and confused. And he wasn't having this high spiritual moment. He was just broken in the trenches. And yet not just a day off, he would be seeing God do something incredible in his life. And I just think about that because I love you and I want you to see the work of God in your life. I don't want it just to happen. I want you to see it. I want you to be cognizant of it in the same way that Jesus says to the dad and the mom and and the circle of friends, come in here. I want to show you this. I want the same to be true for your life. I want you to see the power of Jesus on display in your life. The third observation is probably the one that if we were to make any, we would all guess this one because it has to do with Jesus conquering death. Now, there's no doubt that the main point of this entire text is to say that Jesus not only has power over sickness. He's already healed people in the Gospel of Mark. Not only does Jesus have power uh, over nature, he's already calmed the storm in Mark. Not only does he have authority over demons, he's already cast out demons, but even death, Jesus conquers. There is nothing that Jesus isn't sovereign over. And that's what the story is about. Uh, At one point, Jesus was healing the sick. And then at one point, uh, Jesus was calming the storm. And then at one point, Jesus was casting out demons. And then we get to this text where this young girl has died. And Jesus demonstrates that not only does he have authority over those things, over sickness, over nature, over demons, he has authority even over death. And so if you're making notes this morning and you're writing down these observations, would you write down the ease with which Jesus conquered death? Did you see how easy that was for him? He walks into the room, he calls the family, and he looks at the girl and he says, Talitha kume." which means I say to you, little girl, arise. And she arises. Now, for those of you who may be interested in the Christian faith, but not necessarily committed to it, uh, you may be here today because you're thinking about Christianity, or you may be here because you're a spiritual person, but you wouldn't necessarily call yourself a Christian What I want to do today is help you to understand that this story articulates for us really the very heartbeat and backbone of the gospel. We, your friends that are sitting around you, we are not Christians because we have agreed to a set of doctrines. Now, doctrine is important because what you believe, you behave from. So doctrine is important and theological matters are important. But what I'm saying to you is that Christianity isn't about us looking at a list of things and go, yeah, I believe that. Christianity is about this experience. Jesus taking one who is dead and making me alive. 
And that's why I can't stop talking about Jesus. Is he a moral teacher? Obviously. Is he a great example? Obviously. Is he an intriguing historical figure? Obviously. But I'm not a Christian because of those things. I'm a Christian because I was like this little girl. I was spiritually dead. And he made me to arise. This is our gospel. It isn't that we try to do enough good things and so one day when we die and meet the man upstairs that our goods outweigh our bads. Can I just tell you this? I have no hope in that system of salvation. And you don't either. The only hope we have is that just like Jairus' daughter, he comes near and he speaks and he says, I say to you, arise. And there is nothing more glorious on all of this planet than to hear those words spoken to you by the Lord Jesus himself. And I hope this morning, if you are thinking through Christian faith, you're thinking through what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that you just have that clarity about it, that you understand that it really is as simple as that. We're not perfect. We don't have it all together all the time. We don't always agree on all the theological matters, but what do we all have in common? Jesus has awakened us and given us life. And I think that's something to celebrate. Now, as, as we think about how we're going to end today, and you have your notes, you see that we're going to do some takeaways and some applications. And the first one, if you're just looking at it, like right now, if you're just looking at it, it may seem a little odd. So I want to explain what I mean when I ask the question, when and who? Because I think about Jairus, and I can't get over, I'm always moved by passionate movement towards Jesus. It just grips me in the stories. When I see somebody who will take, uh, stop at nothing and will not take no for an answer, um, the lady with the issue of blood that we kind of jumped over today in the story, uh, or the blind man, or all these people who are passionately pursuing Jesus, it always makes me go, wow. They were passionate about being in the presence of Jesus. And so that's where this when and who question comes from, because it causes me to ask myself and ask you, when is the last time you ran into the presence of Jesus and begged the Lord on behalf of somebody else. Jairus does that for his daughter. She is physically ill. He is concerned for her life. He runs into the presence of Jesus, falls at his feet, and begs Jesus for a miracle. And I just think to myself, are we that way? Are we a people who so love people and who so trust the Lord that we are running into the presence of Jesus, interceding, begging, imploring the Lord to do something life-changing in their life. I submit that to you as a question to ponder. Maybe this morning, if the answer is no, maybe you'll do something about that. Maybe this week, you will 
block off time in your schedule and call it running into the presence of Jesus, interceding for others. You may have to abbreviate that. It probably won't fit on your schedule. But you see what I'm saying? What if we learned from the actions and behaviors of Jairus and said, you know what, there's some people in my life that I love and they're not doing well. And I'm going to start running into the presence of Jesus and imploring Jesus to do something great in their life. The second takeaway is a kind of a statement of commitment. We've discussed this just a little bit, but I want for us to include it in our application as a commitment. I'm going to remember that my friends can be well-meaning and wrong. I'm going to remember that my friends can be well-meaning and wrong. Students, I need you to hear me on this one. I'm going to talk directly to you just for a second. I know that it's easy to think that your parents know nothing. I get that. And I know because you text and you Instagram with your friends, and I'm not going to try to say all of these because I don't know how to say them all, but I know you spend a lot of time interacting with your friends. And I know that there's a tendency to start, because you spend a lot of time with somebody, to trust them and to think that they probably know what they're talking about. So I just want to say this gently and lovingly, and then we'll move on. Students, your friends know very little about life. And I don't mean that mean. I mean that they don't have the experience. and They haven't gone before. And the best thing that you could do for your life is to be their friend, like do hobbies with them. You could spend time with them. But don't run to them for wisdom and sage advice because you're asking them to pour from an empty cup. They just haven't been there before. So the point that I'm making to you is that just like Jairus' friends were well-meaning, but they gave bad advice, students, I'm saying to you, there's a profound chance that if you are running to your friends at school for advice on relationships and sex and money and what's important in life, you are probably not getting the best wisdom that you can get. And now, adults, let me speak to you. It's the same, right? Jairus was a grown man. These are grown people in this story. And so even though it's true for young people as well, it's true for us. Just because a person is funny or just because we work with them or just because we enjoy being around them or just because we're friends with them on Facebook or we like them on Twitter, whatever it is, doesn't mean that they're offering you the direction that God wants you to go. We need to remember that our friends can be well-meaning and wrong. And before we look at this third point, I tread ever so lightly in saying to you and make sure that you are not playing the role of Jairus' friends. Because there are people who come to you more than likely. There are people who run to you and say, oh my goodness, what do I do about this? Or how do I think about this? Or what should I do here? And if we're not careful, we can turn into well-meaning people who are giving bad advice. So be prayed up. 
be saturated in the Word of God, and be so close to Jesus so that when you have a chance to speak life, you speak truth. And we're not playing the role of Jairus' friends. Finally, and we'll close, I'm going to be patient with my friends and I'm going to trust Jesus. I hope that you'll make that commitment today. The interesting thing about Jairus is that he was brought to a moment of confrontation, of no turning backs, of the line in the sand where he has to decide who is he going to listen to. Right? Out in the street, is he going to listen to his friends who say, listen, your daughter's dead, you should just leave Jesus alone? Or was he going to listen to Jesus when he said, no, no, let's go? And I think that you have the same decision to make. Wherever you're going to be this week, you might be at a job or you might be at school or you might be at home or you might be out with friends. I don't know where you'll be this week, but there'll come a point in our existence, more than likely this week, probably very soon, that we're going to have to decide, who am I going to listen to in this situation? He he had another moment of confrontation when Jesus said in the bedroom, that this young lady is not dead, she's asleep, and everybody laughed at Jesus. He was confronted with what he was going to embrace. I say this to you as we close this morning. I hope that whatever voices are around you, speaking to you, talking in your ear, trying to shape your heart, of all the well-meaning friends that we have in our life, as you're patient with them, I hope that you will choose to listen to Jesus, to trust Jesus, and to put your hope in what is real in the hands of Jesus. Father, as we close our time this morning, what a powerful word, Lord, about in the heat of things, in real life, in the middle of the valley, choosing to listen to you. I pray for my friends that are here this morning, my brothers and sisters, that you would bless them this week to the extent that they can even now, right now, think of the images in their heads of their friends who might be well-meaning but are giving them bad advice. I pray that you help us to protect our hearts from familiar voices that drag us astray. As we go from this place today, Lord, we are overwhelmed with your goodness, for your willingness to meet with us while we sing the high praise of Jesus, as we discover your word, spend time in prayer. Thank you for meeting here with us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
as we go, I say to you that if you're here today and God has just gripped your heart and you know that you need to be saved, you know that you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus today and kind of cross that threshold from believing in God to being connected personally to God by allowing Jesus to forgive your sins. If you need that today, I'm going to linger after the service and I would love to talk with you. If you need to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, or if you have questions about that, you might say, I hear that all the time. I don't know what that means. Let's talk. I would love to help you to understand what that means. But we pray that whatever it is that your next step in faith would be, that you would take it with a boldness and a courage uh, that would be matched only by Jairus himself when he was going into the presence of Jesus to request the Lord to intervene in his life.